go to the scripture in Numbers chapter 19. Here's what the scripture says in verse number 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. So, Father, your word. Wow, what revelation. Start to finish. It speaks of your son. It speaks of your love. It speaks of your willingness to bring mercy to bear. Your word is a light to our pathway. It guides us, directs us, it corrects us. It illuminates us. It protects us. Thank you for looking out for us. Now may we live with your anointing, embrace the truth of your word, thereby obtaining victory that belongs to us. Thank you for the freedom you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now watch. Same chapter, verse 11. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. Wow. So the correlating passage to that is in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and that we should not defile this tabernacle. How do we do that? By the way we live or not live. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. Now the very first verse I read to you earlier gives Aaron direction. Take a red heifer without blemish. It was to be offered by the priest as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Jesus in the New Testament has done the most amazing thing that we can comprehend. Amazing. It's, it's, it's a wonder of wonders moment. One of those, how did you do that? Throughout the hundreds of years of Jewish history, when you get the background for this, there have only been four red heifers. On record, only four times were they able to find one that qualified. Four times. Qualifications are so stringent, it was a rarity to find a perfect red heifer. And the rabbinical priests in Israel today are attempting to look for that perfect sacrifice. Well, they can easily find him in Christ. They're looking for the perfect red heifer. No spots, no imperfections, so many specific qualifications and separated from the rest of the herd. The red heifer was valuable because it was rare. And and if you want to let something become cheapened in value, let it become 
common, you included. Anytime something becomes common, it loses its value. And that's why we need to understand the value of the red heifer was in that it was limited. You could not find one anywhere. It was a limited edition, like a rare painting, a limited edition. And often value is placed on an item because of its rarity. A generation that just says to you today, do whatever feels good. Have random sex with anybody. It's of no consequence. Hear what God says. When something is lessened in value, it's been diminished because it's become common. It's powerful and valuable when it's rare. It's not good to be just like everybody else and anyone else. There's something powerful in being rare, being kept, not caving to that common cultural philosophy, deciding not to just fit in with anybody at any price. Your value is in your rarity, not in your commonness with everybody else. In this passage, you see several things. When a priest touched something dead, a type of our old nature, what the scripture now calls, New Testament, the old man. That which is dead is the past. That which is dead is over. When you go back and touch something that's dead, something of the past, when you keep touching it, there is a power attached to that. A power to keep touching past relationships, past sins, past addictions, past offenses, past hurts. You keep picking at those hurts. You keep touching those old ways. It brings upon you uncleanness. And God, who knows we can't live in the past, attached to the dead things and said, I have made provision and I have made a remedy. And find a red heifer and take it to the priest. Now the priest was to do three things with the red heifer. He was to gather some cedar wood. He was to gather hyssop and scarlet wool. And he was to take all of that along with the red heifer outside the camp of Israel, beyond the perimeter of the camp. He was to slay the red heifer and burn it completely. Toss the wood into the fire that was burning the heifer. Throw the hyssop under the fire. Throw the scarlet wool into the fire. And then let them all burn up together completely. Till there was nothing but ashes. It's an amazing type and picture of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion that's depicted here in this Old Testament story. There's Jesus Christ, the spotless Savior. The one without sin. No guile in him. Not one time can you spot his life with evil or sin. There's nothing sinful in him. Jesus Christ is the sinless Lamb of God. We see him as he's separated from the fold, separated from his brothers. He's taken off by himself. He's separated from the herd. He's brought to the priest. That's a very significant picture for you. The reason Pilate and the Romans did not sentence Jesus and kill him on the cross, the Jews were saying, crucify him. Pilate took a basin and washed his hands in water publicly before the Jews who were clamoring for Jesus' crucifixion and said, I find no fault in him. So when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude. And he said, I am innocent of the blood 
of this just person. You see to it. Now, why did that have to happen like that? Understand that they would crucify two to four people a day in Jerusalem under the Roman rule. And had they just taken Jesus out and crucified him because of the sentence of Pilate, it would have been an execution, another Roman execution. But the moment Pilate washed his hands and refused to do that, listen, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Hmm. Now Jesus moved out from under the Roman government because had Jesus been ordered to be put to death by Rome, it would have been nothing but a mere execution. Now that the priests had possession of Jesus' life, his death became a sacrifice because only the priests could offer up a sacrifice. And the chief priest said, it may very well be, speaking of Jesus, that one has to die for the rest. And it was the priests who wanted Jesus' death. The Romans were content with scourging him. The priests ordered Jesus' blood to be shed. Now the Romans simply nailed Jesus to the cross as an act of execution. And the blood sacrifice would not have had the same significance. But when the priests took possession and said, we want him killed then the priests were offering up the perfect sacrifice. And the priest had to carry the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet wool, and the priest would lead the red heifer outside the camp of Israel. Now watch in Hebrews 13. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. As the priest had to carry the wood, so Jesus, our high priest, carried the wood of the cross on his own back. When the priest offered the red heifer, not only did he offer the cedar wood, but he also offered up hyssop. And when Jesus was on that wooden cross, a Roman soldier took hyssop and dipped it into gall and offered it to Jesus because he cried, I thirst! A vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Now the Old Testament depiction is a beautiful picture of Calvary. You see the cedar wood, the cross. You see the hyssop being pushed toward the lips of Jesus as he cries, I thirst. But what about the scarlet wool? Well, look at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Look at Calvary. The Roman guards are gambling over that scarlet robe. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Thousands of years before Calvary, this scene was prophesied in the story of the red heifer. It's a beautiful picture of Calvary. The priest had to offer and burn the carcass of the heifer. He had to offer it up outside the camp, outside of the community. Jesus had to put to death, was being put to death outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now, if the Jews had crucified Jesus inside the walls of Jerusalem, religion, their religion would have owned him. Their religion would have said, if you're not Jewish, you can't get to the Savior. Walls represent walls of religion. Men say you have to climb over them to get to God. The reason Jesus died outside of the camp, he knew all of us had sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we would never be able to get over the walls. So Jesus said, you don't have to climb over the walls to get to me. They can't box my love out. No one can tell me who I can love, who I can't love, 
who I can forgive, who I can't forgive. And since they won't let you in, I'll go outside this little boxed in religion and I'll go to the addict and the promiscuous and the liar and the despondent and the broken outside the gates. I'll go there. Jesus came to where you are. He came right where you are. And he came where we resided. He didn't wait until we measured up to qualify to get into his presence. But the blessed Savior said, as I die, I will die in a place. So whosoever will can come to me, can find me. I will not be put in a religious box. So don't let anyone build walls between you and Jesus. No one can prevent you from getting to Jesus. No one can tell you you're not good enough to come home to Jesus. You may use drugs. You may be sexually active outside of a marriage covenant. You may be corrupt. You may be messed up. But no one can prevent you from coming to Jesus because he's come to where you are. He will walk right into your circumstance. Anywhere you ask him, he will be there. He's a God outside of the system. And God didn't want a religious wall around him. So as the red heifer was burned, the priest would come and then throw into the fire the wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet wool. It would all burn up together, and the ashes would mingle together. And suddenly, the sacrifice changed forms. It was no longer these four elements. Suddenly, it all looked different. And it became more powerful in death than it was in life. Because now through its death, it would have greater and wider impact. In life, it could only be in one place at one time. When it died, it changed form. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. When Jesus was on earth, he was in human body. And then all of a sudden, when he died and rose, rose again and ascended, he changed forms. He said, I'm sending to you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's expedient for you that I go away. And I promise you, after I've died and I've resurrected, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. He will convict. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will help you. He will anoint you. He will bless you. He will equip you. He will melt you, make you. He will mold you into a vessel that God can use. I'll become more powerful through my death than I was in my life. And that's what he did. So I say to you, Calvary Christian Center, you can't know the Lord like he wants you to know him until you go through the fire. You may know him as Savior, but when you go through the fire, you'll discover that he has many forms and that what he did in that one area is not exclusive and complete by itself. Listen to me. He's not just your Savior. He's healer. He's not just healer. He's provider. You don't learn that until you go through the fire. He's the comforter. He's your burden bearer. He's the lover of my soul. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You don't know that until you go through the fire. Then out of that you realize, wow, there's more to him than just he saved me from hell. When you go through the fire, you discover that the fourth man is in the fire with you. And you're not alone. And some of you have had personal experience that has taken you through the fire, but you possess something today now that you've come through this fire, no one will ever take it away from you because you've had that, those ashes now become a part of who you are. You've seen Jesus from another dimension. He has taken another form. 
You see him in another facet. You didn't know him like you know him now that you've gone through the fire. Had certain people stayed in your life, you would not know him like you know him now. When they pulled away, Jesus stepped in. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm also thankful for the sacrifice of fire. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will go through the fire. All too many want crowns, but they don't want the cross. Some want the beauty, but don't allow any ashes. Some, some want the garment of praise without the spirit of heaviness. Let me remind you as you walk through the fire, you cannot get the crown, listen to me, without the cross. You will never achieve the crown until there's a cross. You can't acquire the garment of praise without enduring the spirit of heaviness. And you can't receive the beauty and the glorious image that arises until you've come up out of the ashes and you realize the beauty that God's created in the middle of your trial. Wherever you find yourself, remind yourself, he's Lord of all, he's God, he's mighty, he conquers all. The miracle is in what you have left when the fire stops burning. That's the miracle. After he burned the red heifer's remains, and then, of course, the ashes of the wood and the hyssop and the robe and the scarlet, he gathered those ashes and he put them in a specific container. And from that point on, if somebody sinned, if the priest himself touched something out of the past, a dead thing, something that was over, if he touched it, if he went back to the old dead works of the flesh, if anyone did that, he didn't have to remain there in the works of the past. If he would sprinkle the water of purification and some of those ashes out of that container onto the unclean, the unclean would be pronounced clean, forgiven, released from the bondage of what corrupted them. See, God never performs miracles in what you lose. God performs miracles in what you have left. People who value what they have left move forward. People who value what they have lost look back. What kind of a person are you? What kind of a person are you going to be? Some of you have been touching dead things. You're always going back to the mistake you've made, terrible choices you've made, some sins you keep committing. A moment when things went south and you can't help but constantly revisit it. So you're living in the past and you don't understand when you touch dead things, it robs you of your future. Your history can destroy your destiny unless you learn how to be cleansed from your past. So the priest could not touch these dead things. You're defiled when you touch the past. You're defiling yourself by touching the dead things of your past. Things that are over. Things that have been put to the side. Things that are finished. Paul put it like this in the New Testament. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. In other words, quit touching it. Quit talking about it. Quit wearing condemnation, condemnation garments. Quit wearing a guilty conscience and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, I sprinkle the water and I sprinkle the ashes and I say, in the name of Jesus, 
There are marriages that need to get this word. You keep touching the dead things, and it destroys and kills your present. And what you have to do is sprinkle it. Put it under the blood and say, now, in the name of Jesus, we forget what is behind, and we move forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Under the new covenant, you, not just a few, but you are a priest unto God. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So number one, did you know you are forbidden to handle that which is dead and over? Because priests have specific demands placed on them. Priests are supposed to live above dead things. You're not allowed to handle that which is over and done with. You're not to go back and live among the dead. And not only was the priest forbidden to touch dead things, but number two, did you catch that in the verse? If you touch people who touch dead things, you're defiled. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. It spreads. If you don't watch it, people will bring up your past. If you, 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 you get over an offense and then someone reminds you and tries to pull it back up and rekindle that in you, people will bring up the hurt. People, listen to me, people who are touching the past can defile you. And even though you're not going there, you're touching people who choose to live in their past failures. People, listen, people who are touching the past can defile you even though you're not going there. Amazing to me how many people I meet from time to time, the percentage of them that bounce from church to church, and year after year after year, they carry some offense that goes back in history somewhere, and they allow that offense to get into their spirit, and the devil uses that. Listen to me, that offense will defile you. It will defile you. It'll leave uncleanness in you. And if you keep holding on to it, the devil will use it to rip you to shreds. And I'm saying to you today, if the priest was defiled by touching something in the past, going back to something that was supposed to be over, or if he touched a person that was connected to it, and by association they defiled him, listen, he had to take the ashes and sprinkle them for cleansing. And so do we. And that's what you need to do with the things of your past and your old nature. The dead things in the old covenant are a reference to, in the new covenant, to the dead works of the flesh man. So here's how it's put in Hebrews 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, there's that reference, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. Wow. Some of you keep touching the past and your mess ups and the guilt and the condemnation. You lost a job and you beat yourself up over it. You call yourself names. You consider yourself a failure. The economic conditions we're in. Wow. Because of them, you lost your home. You're living with regrets. You must cleanse your conscience from dead works. Some can't lift your hands in worship without your conscience reminding you of your past. 
That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. When King David messed up, and he messed up, he went out, met with a woman that was not his wife, belonged to someone else. In addition to adultery, she became pregnant. David then put her husband out on the front line so he'd be killed to get rid of him. And thought, well, that'll put an end to it. Mm. Baby was born, lived a few days, died. He fasted during that time, waiting, asking God to keep the baby alive, preserve its life. He prayed, he did everything he could do. And when the word reached him that his son had died, David made a sudden change. Say, sudden change. He said, now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He shall not return to me. When the Holy Spirit tells you that something is over in your life, your past is over, your addiction is over, your failure is over, your mess-ups are all over, you need to make a sudden change. David washed himself. He shaved. He put on fresh clothes. He went to the tabernacle, and he worshiped God. Listen, if the priest touches a dead thing, take those ashes and sprinkle them. They purify you from that which is over. Dead relationships, dead mess-ups. Some of you have been stuck for years back here. I was sent here today to tell you life is not behind you. Life is in front of you. And the older you get, the more you need to hear this message. Because your tendency is to go back there and live back there. If God had been through with you when you were back there, he would have killed you and taken you to heaven back there. But his word to you is look ahead. Look forward. Life is not behind you. Life is out in front of you. Life is not in the tombs. Life lies before you. So this Sunday before Easter... Grab the revelation of what this word is saying to you. You don't have to carry condemnation. You don't have to carry guilt about the mess-ups of your past. And here's a clue. We are all human. All of us. You will mess up. The holiest ones here have messed up. All of us have sinned. All of us have failed. All of us are guilty. Without the blood of Jesus, listen, we don't have to live back here in this, that, or whatever. We have been cleansed by the sprinkling. The priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of that blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. And when the enemy brings up your past, hit him seven times with the blood, the blood, the blood. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Because whoever stepped through that sprinkling seven times was clean. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing. And then listen to this. If the thief is found, it says in Exodus, he shall pay double. And then go back 
grab the enemy by the throat and say, listen to me. You came as a thief to steal everything I have. But Jesus washed me. And you're not only going to put back what you took. I want two times for everything you took away from me. That's the message of the cross. It's an amazing message. I shared last night with the people at prayer. That Christ suffered the just for the unjust. And at the cross, we, we get to see a couple things when we look at the cross and Holy Week. We free, first see how God feels about sin. He's holy. In sin and in any form is totally offensive to him. And it's punishable by death. It's just that simple. When you look at the cross, you see how God views sin. You see the horror of that death. You see the punishment. You see the offense that sin is to God. And you realize this is what it's going to cost for my sin. The scripture says, God saying through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord to his people, They have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. He will punish their sins. That's God's justice. We live in a generation now that tries in every way it possibly can to rationalize sin. In fact, God said we'd live in that generation. Those who say evil is good, Good is evil. How does that work? Well, it's okay. It's good. Good for the mommy. Good for her rights as a woman. To go to a clinic and deliver a viable fetus, they call it, God calls it, his creation. Induce labor. Baby's born alive. Snap its spine and kill it. It's good in our culture. Woe to those, he said, who call evil good. And then we who pick up this book and say, this is what God says. This is the standard, and we're not going to compromise it for you or anybody. The culture calls good, his word, evil. We're the bad guys. He said, woe to that culture. And the word woe there means there is coming punishment for that change of attitude toward God. Because that's sin. The cross shows you very clearly how God sees sin. Second thing that happens at the cross, and I hope you'll remind yourself of it at Easter week, It's how God sees and feels about sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We show his mercy. His mercy is exhibited at the cross. Just a few years ago, there was a 
parachute jump instructor by the name of Michael Costello living in Florida. And he had a new student, Gareth Griffin. After teaching him the fundamentals of skydiving and jumping, it's time for Gareth's solo jump. So together they went up in the plane to 12,000 feet, exited the plane together, instructor and student. As the student began to pull his ripcord as they descended down through the altitude layers, reaching the specific place to pull, his parachute did not deploy. Any part of it that did was not slowing him at all. He was plummeting rapidly toward Earth. His instructor observed that. Michael Costello saw that and knew it's a certain death. The student's going to die. So instead of deploying his own chute, the instructor immediately went into a dive, changing his body position in the air, and dove past the plummeting student and rolled over so that God hit himself underneath the student as they were falling to the ground. So that when they hit the ground, the student struck on top of the instructor. The instructor was killed instantly by the impact. The student, with relatively few injuries, was able to get up and walk away that day because his instructor took the fall for him. And that's also what the cross says. Jesus took the fall for us because we were plummeting quickly to our death. And there was no hope of surviving because there is none except the instructor who decided to put himself between us and certain death and took the fall. That's the message of Easter. That's the message of Jesus' blood. That's the message of Jesus' righteousness. We don't live any longer in condemnation or death We don't have to live feeling unworthy or guilty and good for nothing. You've allowed the enemy to beat you down because of failures back here, and you're living back there. If I'd worked harder, I'd have kept this job. If I'd have tried harder, I'd have saved my marriage. Now hear this. It's over. It's done. But God can begin a new thing in your life right here today. Sprinkle his blood on it and move forward. That's the message of Holy Week. His word today is as powerful as the day he spoke it. His blood shed for you, it's as powerful as it's sprinkled today as it was the day he shed it 2,000 years ago. But if you keep going back and touching the dead things, it'll rob you of what God gave you. It robs you of your anointing. I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the fire. I'm thankful for the ashes. I'm thankful that they cover me. I'm thankful for his love. Is there anybody here who's thankful today? Sprinkle his blood seven times. We ought to stand up, everybody, and thank Jesus for his sacrifice because his blood covers you. Let the redeemed of the Lord lift up your voice. What's ahead for you is greater than your past.